Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Welcome everybody to Pushing the Limits, Lisa Tamati, your host here, and today I have a really interesting, uh, super highly educated woman who uh, fascinates me, and she's had a, an amazing career. Her name is Jo Cribb, uh, and she has a PhD in public policy, um, and she's held many very uh, high offices in the country, including uh, CEO of the Ministry of Women until September 2016, um, and she is a, a consultant. Um, and is someone who really fights for the underdog. She's really into advancing the, the causes of va- the vulnerable in our society and spearheading some of the most difficult issues of our time. Things like child poverty, child abuse, family violence, uh, vulnerable women in society. And she's just really someone who, who walks the talk and, and, and helps those who are less fortunate than herself. She's the mother of, of two children. And still runs a and has an incredible career. Um, so welcome to the show, Joe Cribb. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm here today with Joe Cribb. She is in Wellington today, I believe. Joe, is that correct? Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> welcome to the Pushing the Limits. It's lovely to have you on the show, Joe. Um, now, I'm uh, Joe. Give us a little bit of a background on on yourself, where you were brought up, how did you get to be, do all these amazing things that you've done with your life, and let's you know start from a bit of a, a condensed version of who who Joe is. Um, I grew up in Christchurch, in um, and I don't know how do you say this in a normal street, um, in a normal childhood, and we ate lunch and sandwich sausages, and Dad grew silver beet in the backyard, so. Um, it was just an amazing background, and I don't know, uh, but when you think about your uh, background, it always seems like it's summer, eh? It's always sunshine. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I tend to do that too, if I think Yeah, that. it's always, um, Granny Smith apples and the smell of sun cream reminds me. So, um, pretty amazing uh, parents who basically said um, education matters and to take it seriously, so I kind of did, and as you can see, I've spent a lot of time studying. I actually think that was work about probably work avoidance really maybe <laughs> um, but I really um, at, a, at a young age um, decided that I should really follow the things that I'm interested in because that's where I can probably make a difference so I, could, I did start out at law school I only lasted a year and um, yeah it just wasn't the place for me so I ended up at university doing a really interesting degree human geography development politics um, and feminism and it ended up the best place to be was um, on the, on Lampton Quay um, making policy. So I didn't even know what policy was when I got my first job. Yeah, well, but all I knew yeah. was that I was going there and I was going to work for government. I didn't think I even really knew what government was. Um, and I was going to buy really fancy shoes like they had in LA Law. That's yeah. all I... <laughs> <laughs> you were going to be a corporate person and, and be, yeah, be a yeah. high-flying superstar. Um, <laughs> but, any, but anyone that knows um, Lampton Quay is that it's really rough um, t- you know, sort of tiles, and you can't actually wear very good shoes. <laughs> and oh, we all live on hills, <laughs> so that kind of it's not a very pragmatic way. So I've been lucky enough to have um, a, a few um, amazing jobs in government, where I've been able to not only 
um, work in those jobs, but I guess follow my passion. So um, when I had my children, I did my PhD. Again, it was on a topic that really mattered to me and I really wanted to solve the problem. It was around NGOs and government uh, contracting. Um, and then it was just progressively, I was lucky enough to get um, amazing leadership roles, particularly at the Children's Commission, where we did all the work on child poverty that I'm very proud of. And um, my last role at the Ministry for Women, again, which is an amazing organisation doing amazing things. So I guess I've just been very lucky, or some would say planned, um, that I've followed the things I'm really interested in and I've led to, I guess, really good senior positions where I can influence yeah, and you can be an actual make make the change because yeah. you're obviously very passionate about women's issues, about pretty much the underdog. Um, yeah, would you say, or, or, or the or the, uh, the children, uh, poverty yeah. issues around women's issues, uh, and that was something that you 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 brought in, you know, from from teenage years on. That absolutely, you, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. Even before that, um, I, I think I'm very influenced. Particularly, there's always someone in your background, and you you don't really realise it, but um, what they think matters, and that was my grandfather and his father um so I come from a long line of what I would say of people that just gave very very generous generously and warmly to their community my grandfather was one of the first canons in the Nelson uh, district and he used to ride around on a horse going and doing his services and my grandfather ran um the health department in Christchurch and he used to work in a night shelter for men and right. his week even into his 70s so they were the role models that I really looked up to so I really didn't have any opportunity to escape having a social conscience, really. Fantastic. Goodness, <laughs> you did it. Because, yeah. yeah, because it is, um, you know, your, your career path has has looked like service to others where, you know, with, with your brains and your academic ability, you could have gone and, you know, perhaps made millions, you know, as a lawyer or, or something else, but you chose a path, probably a, a more difficult path, it would seem, um, and one where it's all about service to community, service to your country, um, and service to, to women, very often the case. Would that be true? I think if you looked at my CV, you could probably read it like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was without design or, or with design. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I just followed what I was interested in because I knew that would, um, yeah, it would get me through the day and get me out of bed and go to go to work. And it's proven to be the proven to be true. If you if I'm really working on something I care about, it doesn't really seem like work. I know that sounds trite, no, but you know, it's really true. Yeah, because you know, I often talk about when people, you know, um, when I'm coaching and things, uh, passion. You've got to have mm, a passion for whatever it is that you're going into. Yeah, particularly so. as you get more and more senior, the jobs do get more and more complex and more and more difficult. And your integrity gets uh, tested and they're just even physically and mentally demanding the bigger roles. And if you're not really passionate about it, I'm not quite sure how you get through the day. Mm. Mm. Or whether you have to sell out and, and to, to, mm. to do it. Now, let's go back to your, like, your, your, your MA, your first, your, um, the thesis that you did on your MA. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I um, actually have just written a piece. I've been asked to um, write a piece about a book that influenced me. And I wrote um, the most, I guess the book that influenced me the most has been Once War Warriors. And I read it when I was at university. And it was the first time I really saw New Zealand issues being discussed, you know, underdog issues really being aired. And, um, and it was quite inspiring to go, well, maybe we can go into these places and uh, tell stories and um, share what's actually happening in pieces of New Zealand that we actually would rather not. So 
in the end, I got um, I did development studies and I got a, a, a sort of scholarship from NFET and I actually lived in a village in Samoa and studied uh, patterns of domestic violence against women. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience, amazing thesis. But I got to work with a a team of other women. I needed, obviously, help to do the case studies and translation. And they took the cause on um, and and have done amazing work since, just even gathering statistics. um, And there's a whole network. And it's quite incredible what um, is happening uh, with some amazing leaders. So I I guess I was very humbled. And it's a country that I care deeply about. And we travel back every couple of years. And my... Kids are really happy um, living in a whale and on the uh, right at the end of Savai, and we kind of feel at home. We know the place inside out, and have very warm connections to the family that I lived with uh, initially. So yeah, pretty amazing experience. Very Margaret Mead, eh? <laughs> very. And <laughs> it was me. <laughs> and, and what was you know what did you learn from that experience? I mean, delving into and this is a darker side of of, of the society that you know we, we don't often openly talk about. Um, and I um, mean, I've myself experienced domestic violence. I've been through a very abusive relationship in my early twenties that took me a long, long time to recover from. And yeah. I often get asked, well, why didn't you just leave, you know? And, and you hear that often. Why didn't they just get out, you know? I know, yeah, I know. Um, I actually um, was lucky before I had kids. I did do some work um, volunteering with the local collective here with Refuge. And it's quite amazing when you see women who look exactly like you because we often think it's someone else, eh? yes. it's someone down the road or someone who lives in a different part of the city. But when you see that it's actually could that the woman that you're picking up in A and E, you know, could be your friends, and that it's all very close, and that everyone um, is could be exposed to family, it becomes um, family violence. It becomes all our issue. And I guess the more we can kind of tell the stories um, that it isn't something that happens somewhere else, that it's our street and it's our responsibility. Um, the more likely we're actually going to ha- be able to have a chance at cracking our rates. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then there's the in, the insidious side of, of of that sort of types of relationships where it's not just the physical abuse. Mm. It's very much the the psychological. Yes. Um, um, you know, if no, yeah. can indulge. Financial. Yeah, and, yeah, and children makes it even yeah. harder and worse. But yeah, if no, I can yeah. indulge you a minute for with my story. Um, I was isolated overseas, you know, yeah. going out with someone from another country, isolated from your family, and it's very, it's a slow decline. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't just, just happen on the first day, you know, because everybody's, yeah. um, you know, butter wouldn't melt in your mouth in the first six months of your yeah. relationship usually. It's what happens is that power shifts slowly over time and the person's identity yeah. is eroded, their confidence, their self-esteem. Um you know, what advice have you got, you know, young ladies listening out there who are perhaps in situations or, or, or their friends are in situations, what sort of advice can you give them as to how, you know, you know, if, if, if I had someone tell me back then, um, give me a new perspective on, on things. Sure, sure. Um, what I would say is that um, what is happening to them is, is, is something that unfortunately happens to not a, lot, a lot of women and they're not alone and they need to just go and reach out to the smallest person, the closest person, the person they feel most trusted and just say, because most of this happens in complete silence, doesn't it? It's just hidden. And one little conversation could be the best thing. The other, I think also it's not only the 
uh, women who are in their relationships, it's us around. We kind of know if somebody's not a, like even little subtle things that if you invite someone out and they don't come because they're not allowed to, do you know? Yes, there's little yes. there's little signs and we all have, we all kind of know if something's not right. I think it's our job to ask. It's We shouldn't be waiting. We should be asking. And it's, it is a hard, hard conversation. But it's also, there's ways and means we can do this by just reaching out. And I think that's, isn't that the solution? We're, yeah. we're all, we've got neighbours, we've got friends, we've got colleagues. If we think something's up, we can find a way to ask, eh? And, and I think be, that's, and that'll be the difference. Yeah, yeah, being supportive and non-judgmental in the situation. Exactly. And exactly. reaching time and again, because it, it takes time, it's a process, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, um, Refuge will say it's five or six times of trying to leave before a woman actually does. It's yep. an incredibly hard, hard, hard process. And the women that do are just amazing, amazing, amazing women. Um, I think they're the leaders in our society. They've been through so much. They have so much strength and so much resilience to have survived. Yes. That I, we should... They, they should be the ones who are winning a lot of the awards, if you know what I mean. Yes. I really think we've got some amazing heroes. Some people who stories don't get, yep. don't get told, yeah? Yeah, some of them that have actually escaped it and then turned, turned things yeah. around. I mean, I know in, in my case it took a good 10 years, really, to yeah. rebuild the the confidence that was, that was yeah. stolen, really, um, and to come out the other side a whole lot stronger and a, and a whole lot more able to, to deal with situations and to recognise things. But uh, it's not something you would want to repeat. Um, and it, it, it's, it is devastating to see, so, you know, so much of it around. You do see it around um, and you hear stories after the fact often. But I think it's, it's brilliant that we can discuss, because that's what I love about you is that, you know, you discuss the hard topics, you know. Oh. You discuss and bring into the open these topics that aren't sexy, they're not cool, but they're um, issues that need to be brought up. And a lot of people, I think, assume that it's, ah, it's not really that bad, you know. Yeah. That, that yeah. sort of brings us on to the next topic is, um, yeah, the um, gender pay uh, discrimination, if you like, or the gap yeah. In, yeah. in pay between women and men. Um, and recently you've just done a, a TEDx talk. Tell us a little yeah. about that journey. Yeah. What was that like? Sure. So um, one of the um, things, um, after I'd, I'd done nearly um, my whole, I'd done, pretty much done my contract. Um, all the chief executives are on a contract and it was uh, coming to an end. And I really didn't, I'd really left everything I had in that organisation and didn't have much more to give. And I've got quite young kids and I didn't want a bigger job. So I've gone out on my own and I'm absolutely loving it, running my own business, um, leading an NGO, doing a whole lot of coaching and doing a whole lot of what I call passion projects, things that I have kind of built into my business model where I can create time, where I can kind of uh, work on issues that I think need to be worked that don't necessarily have to wait for somebody to pay for me to work on them. Does that make sense? Amen. So I've got my, my passion my passion projects. Um, and um, one of the exactly. things I um, dared myself, I set, when I first started my business, it's about eight months ago, I set myself some goals. And one of them was to do things that scare, that absolutely scare me. And one of them is um, standing, in, standing in front of, it was nearly 5,000 people with no notes and talking. That just absolutely <laughs> scared me. Um, it really did more than anything else. I guess it's the fear of, um, oh, every fear you can imagine, falling off the stage and everyone yep. seeing it or just – actually, it was the fear of going blank pretty much. But I also um, said as one of my goals was that I was going to use my voice. And it was 
in my previous roles, it hadn't been fully appropriate to say exactly what I think, and most of us are in that stage, and that's mm. actually okay because we are we are role. We are, have the privilege of being in roles, but when you're not in a role, you have the. You, I think you have the responsibility to be in your own role. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So, my own um, business. So actually, people are in, in my consultancy. People are paying me actually now to say exactly what I think. So this whole point about using my voice um, becomes important. So that I. So the two things came together. One, this was an opportunity to use my voice, and even when the sort of the call for um, speakers came up, and it was just came up as an email, I just went cold and went right. That scares me. I better do it. Um, and what an amazing process um, to go through um, with a team of speakers to be um, supported and coached and being basically given a platform. I think it's an incredible gift we've uh, been given, or we've all been given from the TEDx organisers, who are all volunteers. Um, and I really wanted to tackle, for me, the gender pay gap. And so the gender pay gap for me means more than just a figure because when you look at, uh, start unpacking the figure, uh, encapsulated is a whole range of things around how women um, are seen in society, about what women's roles are, about how women's work is valued, about how women's leadership is valued, and all these kind of things are all actually packed up into this one statistic, if yes. that makes sense. Yep. It's like a a, a a sort of a bucket, really. And if we really are going to move that gender pay gap, we're going to have to move all those things about, you know, women's, the, the view of women in leadership, the view of women's work, you know, the value placed on um, perhaps uh, taking time off for kids. All these things are going to have to be addressed if we're going to move the gender pay gap. So it seemed to me the logical place, if I had a platform to use was to do that um, and I also had done a lot of research about what would work um, to do it and it is actually pay transparency if there's some mechanism where we actually have, do know what everyone is paid or do know what the gaps are not surprisingly they start to start to disappear and there's so many there's so much evidence internationally um, from governments that have done this actually they've made organizations be transparent so I just said, right, that's the answer then. I'd better stand up and say it. So I did. Scare <laughs> the hell out of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you, should, you should have seen me half an hour before. Like, <laughs> got nervous. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that, that's, that's what's, that, you know, that, that is the hallmark of people who, who push themselves and, and who are leaders and the extraordinary achievers. It's a, they scare the hell out of themselves on a regular yeah, basis because you're only yeah, learning when you're outside that comfort zone. But you're also sitting there going, oh, I know I need to do this. And then you're going, why aren't I, why do I do this? Can I just hop back <laughs> into kind of, I can take on the world and I want to hide under a rock. Yes, yeah, same. I want to hide under my duvet <laughs> most of the time. And at the same time. <laughs> I love it. But that's, I mean, that's, that's honest and that's real, you know, and it is a, it is a frightening, you know, thing. I'm, I mean, I'm a speaker for a living and, and I still get terrified every single time. If I, you know, I, I think one day I'm going to have a heart attack <laughs> because it is so frightening and every situation is different. And this yeah. is something that you're passionate about. Um, so, the, you know, the statistic, you know, women's pay grades, I believe, are about 88% of what men are paid, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and when you start to unpick the gender pay gap, say by Māori workers or Pacific workers, mm -hmm. you know, you end up with you can you can end up with a huge amount. I think I looked at the statistics um, yesterday. The difference between the average Pacific woman's hourly rate and an average man's rate is about fifteen dollars. I mean, that's really? insane, isn't it? That's um, incredible. 
so this it, it, and it isn't just um, a figure it's people's lives it's people's ability to feed and clothe their children to have good lives um, to to work to work hard and be paid well and those sort of things as well so it's a figure but when you unpick it into the reality of people's lives um, it becomes quite real um, so yeah I did the TED talk and it has um, and I've worked with a group of a wonderful women and men who've helped me share it. So you'll see that it's on Facebook. Um, it's uh, around Twitter yeah, um, and in a range of places as well, because yeah. there's no point in doing a talk if we can't um, actually share the idea. So I've been really thankful that some people have gotten behind me and um, give me give me a hand, because to be honest, I don't this social media stuff. Oh, it's a nightmare, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, it's the bane of my life and my whole my whole entrepreneurial things are all online digital yeah. marketing social media and I, I, I honestly I want to chuck the computer at the wall every single yeah. day but I, it's, not a, it's not a world I understand no. not a world I understand I'm not sure people do understand fully but I um but it's a world I want to learn about because I think it is it is an ability to to spread your ideas so well, that's it. um that's it, and, exactly I mean that's exactly. what you know, I, I came to the conclusion I was always looking for someone to take that away from me so that I didn't yeah. have to worry and I could just create the messages and create the content um, that I've realized that actually you, know, you have to understand the whole world and you have to, and, and it, it's so empowering because that message, that TEDx talk can go viral, that can go right around the world, it can touch yeah. millions of people if you're lucky, um, thousands if you're not lucky. Um, and, and have an actual impact, and therefore it's worth investing in, in knowing how that technology yes. works. Agree. Um, but what I also think I've learned is that social media isn't so much so different to how our communities work either. It's if you're part of a community and you've added some value and people respect you, your message goes further. So there's, I guess that's the piece too that it, even though it feels like clicks and likes and retweets and whatever, it isn't. It is still. There's a reciprocal. Uh, I'm not going to say that right. There's a giving and taking. <laughs> no, I won't get that out right. I won't try. There's a giving and taking, and there's a um, and there's a generosity, and a, do you know? And it's an authenticity that you need. I I or what that I'm starting to learn that you'll need as you need in your personal interactions. You'll have to have online as well. So, I guess I'm trying to just work out what does how does that translate. So yeah, what a yeah, what an amazing experience, really. Yeah, I still have, it still makes my head hurt. <laughs> well, you, you know, looking at you on stage, you would not have have thought that you were anything but supremely confident. So you I nearly wore out the floorboards at the back <laughs> of the stage and was told to sit down. I might go through them. No, no, I think it's brilliant. You've got to be, but you're passionate. You've got to move. You know, you've got to be active. You've got to be real. You know, there's no use sitting there like boring, blah 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 blah. You know. <laughs> Um, but let's unpack some of those roadblocks to diversity um, and to uh, the gender, the, 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 age, uh, the age gap, the pay gap. Um, what are some of the things that organisations aren't doing? Because, of course, every organisation now pays lip service, or bigger organisations, pay lip service to equality, to employing diverse people um, from different you know, cultures and and ages and uh, sexes and you know there is that lip service being paid why isn't it actually working as well as it could be um i guess one of 
that are interesting, um, I say findings, I do treat this, actually, I am treating like this like a great big experiment and I am going to write the whole process down to, in the spirit of sharing what I've learned around having an idea and spreading it because I think there's lots of things that we can all learn from each other about using the, all these tools that we, that we probably aren't sharing as well as we can do. So I will do the... Um, good, the bad and the ugly. Um, but what I've um, learnt is that a lot of people are coming back with saying I asked, but my organisation didn't know. <laughs> so, um, and that's been the most standard answer really. And so if you don't know that you have a gap, of course you're not working on it. So I think it's as basic as really understanding what's happening in your organisation. And I've been surprised at the really large, quite sophisticated organisations whose people have asked and they haven't, they just haven't known. So that, I guess, is just the basic starting blocks, isn't it? Um, maybe there isn't as much action because we just haven't asked the question and we just don't quite know. So the good thing is most organisations who have been asked are looking into it. And so once, if they find something, which I would assume many will, action will follow from there. So that's that makes it kind of all worth it. Um, oh, one of, I was, um, ch- uh, I shouldn't say, I was kind of chased off a plane last week by a board chair who'd seen the talk and said, oh, listen, I sit on three uh, ch- uh, companies, a couple of them are stock exchange listed. I um, asked, the rang the CE after seeing your TED talk and asked what the uh, gender pay gap was in each of these organisations. He said, I rang through them and none of them could tell me. Wow. Again, you know, and, um, wow. you know, the companies that you'll know. So wow. there is a piece where we just don't know. We haven't asked the question. So I'm surprised that's, where, that. that's where we start. Yeah, I I'm think. surprised at that. And I, thought, it, I yeah. thought there would at least have been, you know, um, statements and, 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 and documentation of what the policy is at least and what, what um, they intend to do about it, whether there was actual steps towards... You know, closing I think there would be more. I, I thought there would be more too. So, but no, it seems that sometimes we just maybe haven't asked and maybe haven't looked into it. So, wow. that, well, that's easy, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, well, you've, yeah. you've started just a look. conversation and hopefully everybody <laughs> listened to this podcast. Like. Yeah. Um, some CEs have come back and said, I always hoped I didn't have one. I just assumed I wouldn't. And then when we've looked, we've found we have. So, <laughs> do you know, because yeah. there isn't necessarily malice happening here. I don't think there's. Yeah, I mean, there may be some employers that are trying to rip off their staff, but I don't get that sense. This no, is far more yep. subtle and insidious and unconscious and builds up over time. So, What about the negotiating pro- pro- process? Like, yeah. You know, is, is part of the problem women are less assertive in their negotiations or are they more likely to not get what they ask for because they are women um, or they just don't dare ask for what a man would ask for? I think it's all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing I um, do think we really need to do is, particularly with our younger women who are starting out in the workforce, is give them the confidence to say, just ask. Ask if, when you're at the interview, ask what their gender pay gap and what their strategy is, and ask, um, uh, you know, ask when they've been given their first offer what the next one's going to be. And really, I think we should instill it in our young girls. I really do hope we do that. Yeah. Um, I probably didn't negotiate as hard as I could have done going through. I did. I probably did. Um, but um, I know people who don't. They just take what they're given because they don't want to be seen as, you know, aggressive. Yeah. So there'll be that. a whole range of scenarios. Um, and then there'll be women who are amazing negotiators. So I don't – and I don't think um, – obviously – 
uh, encouraging um, women to negotiate is a good thing, but it's not going to be. It's not going to close the gender pay gap. Yeah, it's so, not going to be the strategy. It's not the. It's not the only reason it exists. Yeah, no, definitely. So let's look at a couple of the other ones. Like um, I read one of your um, articles, uh, diversity blindness. Um, so this is more yes. going into roadblocks into diversity, yes. um, but same sort of kettle really. Um, yeah. If you know, I, I have uh, a mother who's um, disabled and has until recently been in a wheelchair, and only because I've been dealing with that for the last year and a half. Do I know how hard it is for someone in a wheelchair in our society yeah. or in, in, yeah, in just exactly. around town? Um, and uh, in your uh, one of your articles, you brought that particular case up. Are mm. we unintentionally, you know, just because it's not in our consciousness to think mm. uh, outside of our own little boxes, our own mm. little capable boxes, um, and think, well, what's it like for someone with a disability? What's it like for mm. someone from another culture or, or who has a, yeah. a second language or you know, all of the, these sorts of things. What do you think about diversity blindness and how do we, you know, overcome that? Um, I think it's a very um, natural process, isn't it? We uh, we see the world through our own eyes. Um, and, I, um, and I just think, you know, it's okay to acknowledge that. But um, the, in doing so... We don't, we can't, we don't see often see the world through other people's eyes. And having worked um, in organisations with some amazing clients and some amazing leaders, uh, the, the comments I'm, I get and they're kind of they're really well-meaning, but they are a bit misplaced. As in, listen, I treat men and women the same here, and I'd be horrified if that wasn't what they were telling you, telling me. I really do treat men and women differently. And of course, when, then you find out and you go and look at the statistics and you look at the feedback that men and women give you know and empirically it shows that that's just not the case so um there is a sense of um just understanding that we all do see our the world through our own lens mm. and just having that i guess sense of um consciousness uh, that it isn't the only lens and maybe we exactly like the gender pay gap blindness i think is that we do have to dig around and look and ask and not assume and that's just actually good leadership it's yes. just straight good leadership, isn't it? Yes, being able to entertain other points of view is, yes. is, is one of the exactly. key points of a, yes. of a good leader. Yes, um, yes. And that sort of segues nicely into, you know, discussing leadership. Uh, women in leadership in New Zealand, what's the state of affairs on on that, you know, right across the board, whether it be in, in, um, in corporate or in government or in sporting sense or you know what what are your what are your views on on how how can we improve and encourage a young woman to get more into the leadership roles what makes a good woman leader mm. um, um, yeah no, that's a, um, a really good question and I think all your listeners will know about the state of women in, lead, in leadership in New Zealand because they just won't see a lot of them particularly in the private sector what is it one out of a hundred of the top wow. hundred stock exchange listed has a woman head Government is better. There's been some amazing change there. I think it's about 40%, which is a fabulous that public servants now get to see really good, strong woman role models. Um, I can remember, though, when I was um, sort of like getting into my first management roles and I looked around because you look up, hey, you go, who do I want to be like? And not really one seeing anybody who looked like me um, or... Um, or who had, who had the same things, like who was going to have children and wanted to be a mum. You know, you're going looking for role models. Yep. What I think we have in New Zealand is a is a cohort, though, of women who, who are open about 
that are, you know, they're not um, airbrushing their lives, not trying to make it look easy and being really open and honest. And I think that that's the most refreshing thing and most important thing we can do, kind of, if you're in a position of power, telling it like it is. Oh, and, and I think that gives other women position, uh, you know, permission. You don't have to be perfect and you're not going to have the perfect house. You know, it's not going to be tidy all the time and you're <laughs> not going to get everything right and you don't have to be looking amazing every day But you sh- to be a leader. You don't. In fact, it's far more authentic if you're just you. Yeah, <laughs> I be reckon. Far successful if you're just you. And if you're just you and you look immaculate every day, you're awesome. But um, I never did. So, no, me neither. Do you know? Um, so I think that that's something that women um, leaders can do is just, yeah, just be honest about um, what what it takes and what it looks like. And it, I think that just opens it up and, and makes a whole lot of other women see that they could potentially do it. They could potentially have a go yeah. in those challenging roles yeah. even if they've got children or uh, a difficult, um, was one of the other articles I re- uh, read from you, um, wearing many hats, you know, having yeah. to wear yeah. many hats in a day um, and that, you know, our lives are very complicated yes. and you yes. do have to snap from one role uh, whether it's being a mum or um, or a housewife or, you know, running your diverse number of businesses or, you know, whatever the, the role changes are that you have within a day and that you do feel like you're swapping hats, literally, you know. I know, I know. I, yeah, like you're in buying flea today. I was in buying, just in between business meetings, buying flea treatment for the cats. Yeah, <laughs> And that's how it goes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're yeah. dealing with CEs of a massive organisation and then you whip out and get the flea treatment for the kids. Yes, and you still got to put the rubbish out at night. <laughs> Nobody does it for you. That's how it goes. <laughs> but and the more we tell it like it is, the yeah. more I think a whole generation of women can just relax into the roles, do you know? Yeah. Um, and you don't have to be perfect and you're going to have days where you want to, when you just want to hide under a rock and every single, I would think anyone would be lying if they don't say they have those sort of days <laughs> and that makes, it takes the pressure off you to be perfect and you know, I often think that's what we want to do. But I look at you, you know. and I look at, you know, the, 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 the myriad of degrees that you have, the incredible career that you've had and you've got children and from the outside that looks so amazingly you know rosy and perfect and it's so you know it's empowering to know that perhaps you know you get tired too um and grumpy and grumpy um, and don't have and, the house um, looking perfect. I, did the, I did the funny i did with something that i'm quite proud of um, a while back i um came home from work and i cooked cooked dinner and it was um i don't know we do bargain box so it was a lovely mincy thing and I spilt a bit down my work clothes and I had to go out straight after and do a speech to a group of women and I said I can either get changed or I can go in my shirt with mints on it and, <laughs> and tell them like it is and so I did I stood up in front of them and said I'm really proud of this badge this is the working mum I've I been home it. cooked dinner and now I'm coming out and yes I did spill some down me and I've on purpose I haven't changed because I think that this is I think we all need to talk about this and they I think it just sets a tone eh oh absolutely this this is how it goes and I can airbrush it I can go and change my shirt and pretend that I'm amazing or I can tell you actually the real reality is you know we're all just doing the dishes yeah Hear it, but that, that doesn't detract from you as a leader and your your incredible intellectual skills, your your experience, your knowledge. I mean, you know. But that's the but that's the that's the that's the project I think we have all, both men and women, have as leaders because 
the leaders that I grew up um, seeing had to kind of be like bulletproof heroes, do you know? They could never have anything wrong. They could never be sick. They always had to have the answers. And you used to go and sit outside their offices and waiting for the answer to come. And the world's just too complex for that model of leadership. It just isn't going to work anymore. And actually, it's leaders who say, listen, I don't know what the answer is. Can we get and call people around them to help solve it and have, you know, stains on their shirts because that's how it works. Do you know, I think that's going to help us through the complexity that we're facing in all our organisations and navigate forward, which is creating a space where we can actually um, engage in hard issues um, and you're not playing a sort of, you know, the, the, the answers aren't sitting often in the CE's desk, on the, in the CE's mind. They're, they're in the organisation. We need to create spaces where those um, can come out and it isn't by being having leaders who are perfect. So it isn't model. Leaders who are who aren't afraid to have people who are better than them. Well, and that's the whole deal, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if somebody's lost a loved one, you go and sit and cry with them because that's what human beings do. And you, when you get a CE role or a GM role, it doesn't mean you stop being human. Do you know well, a this human? Is, this is a, yeah. This is something that I have really always struggled with, and probably one of the reasons why I've always been an entrepreneur and never been involved in, uh, you know, as a, as an employee, or not since I was about nineteen. Um, I could not understand the inhumaneness of of the structured workforce. Um, it wasn't because I'm lazy, because I'm not. I'm a workaholic. I'll work hard. I'll you know I'll I'll push things to the limits. But when it comes to if I'm sick or if my mum's sick or if my child is sick or you know or or someone's having a bad day, I'm still a human. And and this is often forgotten in the in the corporate world. I think is that we have to be these robots. Um, yeah. Um. I think there are some organisations and some spaces that aren't like that. I think I think it's a mixed bag. And when you get an organisation that really brings out the best in the people, that organisation will be successful. And some leaders have really nailed it and they're doing an amazing job and they um, succeed because of it. Some aren't. Um, some organisations are institutions that treat their people like widgets. So I think we've got a really mixed bag. And, um, yeah, but that'll be the difference between organisation success and not, I think. And that's coming more and more and more as um work changes and um, complexity increases, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, if you look at um, companies perhaps like Google and things who have, you know, very innovative um, work practices and the way that they treat their employees, and I'm not saying they're great because I'm sure they have a whole, horrible, lots of horrible things, but um, they try to make it as easy as possible for people to exist within the organisation and, and to be different. We don't always have to be, you know, cookie cutter, all wearing suits, all wearing black suits and perfect briefcases and and portraying this this cookie cutter image of of what a leader should be you know um i mean in, in my life i've been an entrepreneur for better or worse you know my whole life a serial entrepreneur um and in a and in a sport where um you know, you're very much in the minority you're in a very masculine area mm. and, and always and, and never had a problem that with that really, you know. I've always found that a, a very interesting and challenging yeah. way to live. But I did always, you know, I grew up in, in a family where, like with my father who was very much, you can be as good as the boys, but you're going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to work twice as hard to prove it and go out there and work and do that. 
you know, and it was encouraged to be oh, everything yeah, and do yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he was right, really. You have to still, I think today, mm -hmm. you still have to be twice as good to be considered half as half as good in many roles, in many roles. Mm. Um, perhaps not everything. And uh, you, you do see a change. Um, just for example, in, in the fire brigade, um, you know, I've grown up, dad was a fireman, my brother's a fireman, my husband's a fireman. Um, and then just watching, I would like to have been a fireman. And when I came out of high school, that wasn't a possibility. Now it is. Now mm, there's a number of, you know, yeah. there's a lot of women in there and they're doing really yeah. well. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, so, so times are changing, aren't they? No, I think so. I really do think so. Um, yeah, no, I have more, far more, far more hope than, and see far more exciting things happening than I see negative. So, um, and even that we were able to have these kind of conversations openly and share, isn't that, isn't that just incredible? We can just talk. Yeah, but then you get the yeah. comments. Like I've been, re you know, watching your TEDx talk and I've seen some of the comments from men mm. and I'm shocked. Mm. You know, mm. to be honest with you, I'm like, really? Are you still back in the caveman days? You know, they're oh, we don't see a ministry for men. Or are you, uh, you um, what were some of the, the other comments? Or, or you know, all around. Well, there is no such thing as a, a pay gap because no organisation is legally allowed to, and and all the sort of talk. And it's like, well, you really haven't looked at the statistics, and you really don't know. Um, you know, what do you say to those? Those people who, because those arguments are going to come up, you know, especially after yeah, the talk. Yeah, absolutely. But what the what I'm really thrilled about is that we're having the debate. Isn't that the better? Aren't we making the invisible visible, and we're actually talking about it? So otherwise, nothing's going to change. So I just say the more we talk about it, and we're not necessarily always going to agree, but if we if these issues are hidden, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I but I, it, it takes a brave woman to, to uh, you know, because you can get attacked for being, for your stance, you know. And even, like you say, women uh, who are approaching their bosses, what is your policy, what is your, you, you are seen as the troublemaker, the feminist. Yeah, yeah, the feminist, yeah, yeah. The horrible feminist, you know. I know, um, I know. <laughs> so that's why like Safety in numbers, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And mentioned it. I get, you know, we can be smart. We're all clever creatures, aren't we? Yeah, and 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 mm. not being threatened by that. I know it's just so. You know, I've got this wonderful husband who's uh, yelling at me to come and hurry up out the door at the moment. But um, and he he does not see any difference between men and women. He really lives that, and and I find that so empowering. And that hasn't always been the case with my partner mm. partners either. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where a lot of them are threatened by who you are or what you do. Um, and those sort of discussions, I think, are important too. We, we, uh, as educated women, you, you can find it quite difficult to find a partner um, who can cope with that, you know, for, for example. Hey, look, Joe, this has been a wonderful interview with you today. I could prattle on for another half an hour, but I've got to go and change one of those roles and take the husband to see a surgeon to get his shoulder fixed, so i better go and help him. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for everything you're doing, and thanks for being such an amazing role model. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much. Hey, Joe, we'll be in touch. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.
That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.